And again, as you are, take your Bibles in hand, open to chapter 7 of John. As we're in our third installment from chapter 7, I've been looking at the Lord in the context of this great feast. I remind you that in the middle of the feast, we're told in verse 14 that he went up into the temple and began teaching. And that's where we last considered his teaching. Now we're going to move on from the middle of the feast to the last day of the feast. And that is the beginning of verse 37. And we'll look through verse 52 this morning. The promise and the problem. Follow along as I read. Beginning in verse 37, God's inerrant, infallible word, perfect for life and faith. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is he, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this actually is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priest and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful day. It's a beautiful day. The beautiful blue, royal blue skies remind us of your majesty. The sunshine reminds us of the prophet who referred to our Savior Jesus as the Son of Righteousness. We pray now that you might hear our prayer, that you'd illumine our minds, that we might know your word. 
and knowing it, we might believe it. And in believing it, we might be obedient. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Probably the most misunderstood person in the Holy Godhead, the the Trinity, is the Son of God. You have friends who think he's all right, that's your opinion of who he is, that he's God, but they have no trouble with him being, being a good man, uh, being a prophet, but being deity? How could God be a man? Now here's the problem, you see, because we make God in our image. A man couldn't be God, but it does not follow logically that God could not become a man. Then there are those people who say, well, no, maybe he did assume some deity. He was something of a, a, a semi-deity. Or in the early church, you had this popular movement that attributed to him, uh, he was a demiurge. He was some sort of lesser God. In this, in this progression from heaven down to earth. So he fell in there someplace with all the other little demiurges, little, little gods. But as we've already seen throughout the book of John, beginning in John 1, 1, he is God. You can't get around that. You may, you may not like it. You may not agree with it. But you can't get around the fact that the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is God. And the book of John particularly, that's John's point. He begins there. He is very God of very God. And that's what he sets out to prove. And he sets out to prove it for what reason? So that we might believe in him and have life everlasting. That's the whole point of John's theological travels in this book. Well, if Jesus is the most misunderstood of the Godhead... The Holy Spirit certainly, certainly runs a close second. Wouldn't you say? I mean, think about it. We, we all know people in other theological traditions who have aberrant views or what we would call heterodox views, heretical views of the Holy Spirit. They don't think of him in terms of he, the third person of the Holy Trinity, but rather it or that and he's something of a force and he after all Jesus described him like the wind he blows here and there but they failed to go on and read the rest of the Bible and then then you have people who have otherwise better theology about the Holy Spirit but they deny his massive work in the Old Testament and so they set up this, this juxtaposition between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And they, they by doing that, they, in essence, deny his existence up until the New Testament times. And you might say, well, doesn't this passage kind of lend some credence to that? After all, it says, uh, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not 
been given. I mean, that's what it says. So maybe, but see here you have a, a massive problem if you read that out of context. What do you do with all the passages of, well, we've already seen before in John? You just back up and you find that Jesus is already talking about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit and the necessity of the Holy Spirit. Well, what I want us to do here for a few minutes is kind of hopefully detangle this knot so that you can all leave uh, with a more careful, cautious, devoted approach to the Holy Spirit and think about him the right way, talk about him the right way. And so we'll see that in this first first little paragraph, 37 through 39, where we have the promise of the fullness of the Spirit. And I'll just go ahead, that's the essence of what this passage is all about, is the promise of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Not so much the promise of the, the Holy Spirit for the first time. The promise of the fullness, the coming fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to look at the problem. And you already see the problem. The problems are manifest from verses 40 through 52. And there are still problems that manifest themselves in lives today. It's not just unique to this time. But first, for the bulk of our time, I want us to look at the promise. First, let me back up and remind us, we're in the context of this one of three annual feasts. The Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. We've seen already this was a celebration of all that the Lord had given them through the year. Beginning with the grain offerings that came earlier in the year. Culminating with the olives and the olive oil and the grapes and the wine that came later in the harvest year. And so we came on the 15th day of the 7th month. That's the month Tishri in the Jewish calendar. We've talked about all that so you know all that. And we've been moving through it. We've talked about it. Jesus appeared. He came up after that delay showing he was in control. He's the Lord. He will do when he does in his time, in his way. And even people close to him, like his half-brothers, couldn't get him to do otherwise because he's the Lord. He is a servant to save sinners, but he's not a follower of man. Sometimes I think we get this thing messed up. Well, Jesus said he came to seek and to save, but he also said that I came to serve. And we kind of think of servants as people we can order around. Jesus is showing them in this passage, I'm not to be ordered around. I will come to the feast when I choose to come to the feast. By the way, I'm going to stand up in the middle of the feast and I'm going to teach. And the people we saw last week, what's he doing? He's not even been to school. He's not a rabbi. He's He's not formally a rabbi. They're calling him rabbi, but he's not trained. So they, the, the scribes and Pharisees are wanting to kill him. But there's more about the feast. 
all sorts, as we saw back in Numbers 29, there's all sorts of things going on. These are busy days. This is not just, you know, hanging out and having a good time. This is a busy, busy, busy week, and it culminated with that eighth day. That eighth day was important prophetically because it pointed us forward to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It pointed us forward to the transition from the seventh day Sabbath to the first day Sabbath. That would be what the eighth day is, right? If you worked through the seven days, you didn't add a day to the week at that point. You just came back around to day one. And that becomes a special day in the life of the church. If you ever wondered why did God change the Sabbath from the seventh to the first day? Well, it's because of the resurrection. Yeah. But did we know anything about that in the Old Testament? Yep. This passage is about that. Now, as I said, all sorts of things go on. Among them, did you notice all those drink offerings? And some of them were drink offerings, plural. Some were drink offering, singular. But every day, they would go to the pool of Siloam and they would fill up these big urns and they'd bring back water for the offerings, the drink offerings. Now, if you're talking about a harvest, water's pretty important, isn't it? So every day they would go and they'd get this water and they'd bring it back and they'd dispense it. And it was, it was acknowledging every day that everything we have, all these sacrifices, all the grain, all the oil, the wine, everything we have is because he poured out his blessings on it. None of those crops would have grown without the water. That's going on. They also sang. And they sang the Psalms. Psalm 113 through 118. It's referred to as the Hallel. And on that last great day they would have sang Psalm 118. And then they would shout. It had become the custom to shout. Give thanks to the Lord. And that would be the way. They carried on. D.A. Carson, one of the good commentators on John these days, says, Moreover, these ceremonies of the Feast of Tabernacles were related in Jewish thought both to the Lord's provision of water in the desert. So it reminded them of God's pouring out water in the desert when they were about to die. And the water gushed forth from the rock. Who do we learn in Hebrews? The rock was. Jesus. You say, wait, I thought it was a real rock. It was. But it, it, was, it was the Lord who did the providing. That rock didn't have water in it. The Lord made it come forth. And the Lord Jesus is the one, Paul tell, or the writer of Hebrews tells us, was the one to be given credit for it. Also, we're told, that they didn't just look back to the water in the desert, but also 
they expected a pouring out of the Holy Spirit in the last days. You go back to Joel. You read about this in Acts, right? That was the great sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Was that they had this expectation that the Holy Spirit was going to come. And the Holy Spirit was going to come and do extraordinary things in these last days. Let me remind you about the last days. The last days encompassed everything from the time Jesus came and particularly was raised and ascended until he comes again. We're not looking to the last days. We're in the last days. And during those last days, the prophet Joel told us the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out on all men who were in Christ Jesus. Men and women, boys and girls, and they would all be telling others about the Messiah. That speaks moving us away from a a national focus on Israel to God's people being both Jew and Gentile. So they're looking back to the, the desert and their the wilderness journeys, but God's deliverance of them, looking forward eschatologically to the, to the future days, pouring out the Spirit in the last days, pouring at the Feast of Tabernacles, Carson goes on, refers symbolically to the Messianic age in which, a, and that's what we're living in, the Messianic age in which a stream from the sacred rock would flow over the whole earth. Now, Seven days they poured out that water. You notice there were drink offerings on the eighth day, the great day. That's the day we're on now. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Now, interestingly, on that last day we're told, they had this expectation that they'd been living their normal lives seven days. You, you know, you'll, you'll rest, you'll worship, you'll work six days, seven days, normal life. That's our normal life, isn't it? But then on that last day, they were expecting something remarkable to happen. And Jesus tells them what remarkable something has happened. They're looking at the physical water. And look what Jesus says. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm what you're looking for, I'm the drink offering. I'm the one that you need. I'm the provision. Jesus, see, he he knew, he knew the Old Testament well. And he's helping them understand it better than they understood it. He's helping take them out of the physical, materialistic, naturalistic to the spiritual to the heavenly, to the eternal. I'm it. I'm the living water. Now, this is the second time Jesus has done this. 
We've read about him already. Remember? The woman in Samaria. The woman who was living with someone that was not her husband. And Jesus said, I'll offer you water. You're going to keep drawing from this well and you'll drink it and you'll be thirsty in a little bit. But I can give you water and you won't thirst again. He's the living water. Chapter 6. He talks about himself being the bread and the water. The living bread, the living water. He is it. He's everything. And here on this great day of feast, this final day, when they're expecting something from heaven, he says, I'm it. I'm what you were looking for. Now, immediately, of course, he goes and tells them something else. And no doubt, can you imagine? I mean, they've just heard him. What's the last thing we saw last week? Jesus has just finished telling them in the middle of this event, I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And now he says, I'm the living water. I'm the water that's going to be with you forever. You won't be thirsty anymore. So what are these people going to say? What would you say? Jesus knows what they're thinking. Wait a minute. You're going to be the water. And you've just told us you're going away and we can't be with you. How can you be the water if you're going away? We need water every day. And you're going away and you told us where I go, you can't, we can't go. We can't follow you. So Jesus continues. What does he say? Now this he said, what did he just say? Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. So if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. A, no such thing as a second blessing. So if any of you grew up in that tradition, this passage kills it. If any of you have been tinkering with and thought, you know, I hope I get more of the Holy Spirit, you're not. You believe The spirit of the living God indwells you and lives with you. It's remarkable, isn't it? Whoever believes, the spirit will be given. But then comes the little confusion, doesn't it? For as yet the spirit had not been given. But it's just like everything else in the Bible, isn't it? You need to just keep on reading, and that'll take a lot of the confusion out. But I'm not going to go there yet, because I want you to remember, in the beginning, Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters of creation. We're told throughout the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit 
did battle for his people. We're told in the prophet Zechariah that God's people will accomplish all they're going to accomplish, not by might or by power, but by the Spirit, saith the Lord. Nobody can read this passage with any knowledge of the Old Testament and say that this must mean that the Holy Spirit didn't exist before this time or that the Holy Spirit wasn't at work before this time. So you then have to say, so what is Jesus getting at? Well, John tells us what he's getting at because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let me just stop here. Biblical theology is so important to understand the scriptures. Because biblical theology helps you understand the scriptures on a linear fashion, not just a systematic fashion. What that means is it's, it's chronological. And so as, as, as time moved along, redemptive history moved along, what did God do? God revealed a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more to them, right? He gave them a little more revelation, a little more revelation, a little more. It started with that little bitty prophecy right back there in Genesis 3.15 that Prophecy of the, the seed of the woman who's going to crush the head of the serpent seed, right? Now, in and of itself, you think, boy, that's kind of, that's kind of hard to follow. But as the Bible unfolds, you find out who's the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ. Who's the seed of the serpent? It's, the, it's Satan. What does Jesus do? He crushes his head on the cross. Paul says so in Colossians. Jesus, little by little, we learn more about Jesus all through the Bible, more and more about what he's going to do, and it finally culminates in the New Testament, doesn't it? Finally, we know everything we need to know. And by the way, when did Jesus come? I hinted at this last week. Well, I did more than hint at it. When did Jesus come? Jesus came in his own time. What does Paul say? Galatians, Jesus came in the fullness of time. Does that mean Jesus hadn't been before? Does that mean Jesus didn't exist before? No, he's existed from eternity. Had he ever been on this, had he, had he ever dealt with his people before? Yes, indeed. We could do all kind of examples, but one of my favorites in, in Joshua you, you, you remember, I hope, that episode. Joshua's preparing for battle. And this one appears to him. Joshua doesn't recognize him. And he says, hey, Lord, are you for us? Or are you for them? And the Lord of hosts said, No. And Joshua knew then who it was. We could go to Moses, couldn't we? In the burning bush, Moses fell down. It was the Lord of hosts. I am who I am. We could go to Proverbs chapter 30. And the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, there says, Who is it that's done all these great things? 
Surely you know his name, and surely you know the name of his son. What's my point? My point is a very simple point. Jesus existed from eternity. Jesus had those, those, those theophanies or Christophanies all throughout the Old Testament where he would come and appear to people. But then he came in the fullness of time and took on flesh to accomplish all of his work in its fullness. Why would we think that the Holy Spirit was any different? The Holy Spirit had been doing his work here and there throughout the Old Testament. But in the fullness of time, when? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. When Jesus was glorified, that is when he was ascended back to the heavens, guess what? The Holy Spirit now is given in fullness to fulfill that Joel prophecy that he would be at work filling and indwelling all of God's people so they could carry on the work, not just isolated people here and there, but all of God's people with the same fullness of the Holy Spirit that we need, the Comforter. Now, we're going to learn more about this. This is just a sample. When we jump forward to chapters 14 through 16, Jesus goes into a, a full bore teaching for three chapters on the work of the Holy Spirit. And it begins with him saying, I'm going away, just like he did here in verses 32 and following. I'm going to go away. And when I go away, I want to send you another one that's just like me. Greek, literally, same stuff as me. Same essence. And he is going to guide you into all truth. He is going to comfort you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to do everything that you need while I'm seated on the throne with my Father who is in heaven. That's what's going on here. And that Holy Spirit indwells us. And how does Jesus describe it here? He describes the indwelling out of his heart, that is, out of the individual believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you understand why you're overflowing with joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness? Remember, those are called fruit of the Spirit. Do you know why? It's because the Holy Spirit indwells you, lives in you. And that came because Jesus Christ did everything he was supposed to do. And then the Spirit came in fullness of time to do his fullest work in time. Well, we then read what this wonderful teaching, which should be a, 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 a reason for rejoicing and a reason for for honoring Christ and a reason for believing Jesus and a reason for exalting Jesus, but what does it produce? We should know what it's going to produce. Jesus has taught that there are four different soil types. Four different heart types. And out of those four, only one kind believes. Right? You remember those? That teaching of the Lord? Extensive teaching. 
You've got the soil that's been prepared. It's good soil. That's the soil that the Holy Spirit works in and changes the heart so that they can receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior through faith. And then you've got all the other soil types. And they, to one degree or another, like him, dislike him, believe him, disbelieve him, totally reject him. They're hostile to him. Here are the problems. When they heard these words, some people said, this is the prophet. But notice that's not the Messiah. Muslims believe he's the prophet. Or at least one of the great prophets. There's been people like that all through time. Oh yeah, he was a great prophet. Had to be. Listen to him. Then you got the group that I think we've already seen. In verse 31, yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ comes, how could he do more than what he's doing? In other words, he couldn't. I think that's the second group here. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village? Now, they're the ones that haven't been following the story closely enough. Because if they've been following the story, they'd know that he's, he's exactly that person, Jesus, that is. So there, were division among the, there was division among the people. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. This is the problem. People have their own, own take on Jesus instead of the right take on Jesus. And then the officers, that's the officers of the Sanhedrin, come to the Pharisees and they said, hey, you were supposed to go bring him to us. And what'd they say? Uh-uh. You been out there? Have you heard that man? Have you heard that man's preaching and teaching? We're not bringing him to you. We're going, to look, we're going to see this later in John. Pilate, I wash my hands of this man. He's done nothing wrong. That's what the officers are in essence saying, aren't they? They're saying, have you not heard him? He didn't deserve what you have in mind for him. We're not bringing him. You want him? Go get him. But we're not bringing him to you. The Pharisees said, have you been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? In other words, now they're saying, look, have any of us believed in him? No, you shouldn't either. But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. They basically condemn everybody, including those who believe in Jesus, for the way they're responding to Jesus' teaching. And then there's Nicodemus. We've already, found, we've already met Nicodemus, right? Back in chapter 3. He's the one that came by night to Jesus. And he just raises a red flag. Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Let's just do this the right way, guys. The law has a process. If you don't like him, if you don't believe him, if you, don't, if you disagree, if you think he's teaching wrongly, the law has a process. Let's just follow the law. And what was the reply to Nicodemus for just saying something sane? I mean, the Pharisees were supposed to be the sticklers for the law, right? 
Nicodemus just simply says, hey, we're sticklers for the law. Let's just follow the law here. We don't need to be dragging him in. We need to, we need to handle this the right way if we're going to handle this. And look what they said, the Pharisees again. Are you from Galilee too? You see how irrational sin makes you? They knew Nicodemus. He was one of them. They knew where he was from. Are you from Galilee too? They were, they were belittling Nicodemus. People ever do that to you about your faith? Oh, I guess you're one of those Christians. You probably actually believe the Bible. You probably believe Jesus is the son of God. And you say, yep. And they say, well, you then probably believe God made everything in the space of six days and it was very good. Yep. That's what the book says. And science has given us no good reason not to believe the book. You're right, we believe it. But that's the problem. Where there's no genuine faith, you're going to get everything wrong, or at least many things wrong. The most important thing wrong, and that's who is Jesus. So the question is, do you believe in Jesus and do you enjoy the spirit of the living God flowing out of your heart like living water? Because that's what Jesus means in chapter 10 when he says that we can have life and have it abundant. We can have life in Christ and life in the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to be some kind of special Christian with a second or third or fourth blessing we get blessings all day long every day because the Holy Spirit is indwelling us that's the promise and guess what we live in the age where the promise is being fulfilled we're not looking forward to it now like they were we're living in it we should be rejoicing and that then should strengthen our faith back in Jesus over and over. It should be a cycle. We trust Jesus. Our faith grows in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit becomes more dear and precious to us. And working in us more and more. That we're not like others who have problems. And live and, and, and move and have their being like the world. Father, thank you for your word. We ask now that you bless it. That we would receive it. It would change our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.